Namaste, everyone. Welcome to the Charvak Podcast. This is your host, Kushal Mehra. All right. My guest today is Dr. Ishtiaq Ahmed. Dr. Ahmed is a professor emeritus of political science, Stockholm University. He is an honorary senior fellow, Institute of South Asian Studies, National University of Singapore. Dr. Ahmed is a well-known author. His works include the Punjab Bloodied. Uh, it's one of his best books. I highly recommend you, you read that book. Then Pakistan, the Garrison State, Origins, Evolution, Consequences. But today we're going to be talking about a different book written by Dr. Ahmed. It is called Jinnah, His Successes, Failures, and Roles in History. Dr. Ahmed, welcome. Thank you very much, uh, Kushal. Mehra ji, I think you are also of Punjabi origin, aren't you? Haan ji, main Punjabi haan. Haan ji, haan ji. Theek hai ji. Karo so, Sir, Dr. Ahmed, I want to start with this. Why did you decide? Because I, I, I read your book. And, I mean, I can only state how many pages it was in Kindle. So I can't state how many pages it is in the hard copy. But in Kindle also, it's quite a few number of pages. So it's a long book. Likhne ke liye, aapko kitne sari karni padi. So why topic pe select kiya? उसकी बात है उसकी वजह यह है कि देखें जब आप एज अ स्कॉलर एंटर करते हैं किसी फील्ड में तो वहां का जो एग्जिस्टिंग लिटरेचर होता है पहले आप उसको देखते हैं और फिर उसके अंदर जो आपके अपनी कुछ होती है ना कंसर्न्स कि यार मैंने इतना पढ़ा है यह सुना है यह देखा है कुछ चीजें समझ नहीं आ रही जो कहा गया है उनमें चाहे वो वॉलपोर्ट हो आयशा जलाल हो या जितने बाकी ऑथर्स हैं हेक्टर बोलिथो इज द फर्स्ट वन हु रोट द बायोग्राफी ऑफ जेना फॉर द पाकिस्तान गवर्नमेंट तो वो क्वेश्चन ये थे कि एक्चुअली व्हाट डिड जेना वांट दैट्स द मेन क्वेश्चन आयशा जलाल की पोजीशन तो ये थी कि ही नेवर वांटेड पार्टीशन from 1939 onwards, he was seeking a power-sharing deal with uh, uh, the Indian National Congress, and he worked towards it. And if you Pakistani historians, the charismatic leader, and Farooq Ahmed Dar's book, latest जो आई हैं इसके अलावा बेतहाशा किताबें पाकिस्तान में लिखे गईं और दूसरे लोगों ने भी लिखे वो कह रहे थे कि पाकिस्तान यानी पाकिस्तानी हिस्टोरियंस के जिना ने सिंगल हैंडेडली अंग्रेजों को भी अपोज किया और कांग्रेस के बड़े-बड़े लीडर जिनमें महात्मा गांधी जवाहरलाल नेहरू सरदार पटेल मौलाना आजाद एंड सो मेनी अदर्स इतनी बड़ी टीम को उन्होंने अकेले डिफीट किया to get Pakistan. Or if Pakistan is not made, then I don't know if it will happen with Muslims, or if it So now, what was the truth? One place was saying that they didn't want to partition. Standpoints which made no sense to me looking at the facts of politics that I understood. Okay, what were the contradictions? Who used what? And why did the partition take place? So having looked at all this, then uh, reviewing the literature, of course, Venkat Dulipala from India had written uh, an interesting book on the idea of an Islamic state as discussed in Northern India, which I had reviewed for a Pakistani newspaper and I review, I include it in my Jinnah book as well. But that's a discussion, not more so much as a discussion as different positions of whether there should be an Islamic state or not. And he gives both positions among Muslim scholars, intellectuals and so on. But how did the partition take place? What happened? Somebody had to go in and, and look at the uh, material which existed. And that brought me then to look at Jinnah. And I developed this framework that uh, 
whatever may be your intentions if you keep on bombarding one set of ideas over and over and over again then those ideas are beyond your control they acquire a life of their own and they constrain you as much as they constrain all others who are involved in a political competition so with that framework in mind then i looked at jinnas political career we had hector bolitho there we had uh, stanley walport now both are interesting books but the first one was written uh, as a commission book for uh, the pakistan government and bolitho did make some interesting observations but it's more or less a laudatory work stanley walford walport then comes in and creates this great hype that uh, people in the past have changed geography here is a man who not only changed geography but also history and that is jena now can a, and one individual do all this what were the circumstances in which jena succeeded so i then as a political scientist looked at uh, what i say is uh, political actions intended and unintended consequences of those and if you look at all that then i also identified jena as a personality i think jena was a leadership type person who would not brook any challenge to his supreme position and and with that in mind he chose his politics as he went along starting as an indian nationalist then having left the congress for many years he was in the wilderness more or less trying to organize the muslim opposition or the muslims as a community vis-a-vis the indian national congress and in 1937 then when after the elections uh the congress ministries come into power that's when jena then comes forward and he tells the governor of uh bombay that from now onwards i will be using communalism what was his the reasons for it you see in the 1935 act and then the 1937 elections uh the congress swept the hindu majority provinces plus it had very strong support in the northwest frontier province now called khyber pakhtunkhwa because of the khudai khidmatgar of khan abdul ghafar khan and his brother dr khan saheb then in punjab the punjab unionist party which was an intercommunal party had swept the elections the muslim league got only two seats which became one when one of the persons elected crossed the floor and and joined the punjab unionist party in sindh they got no seat at all and it was sindhi muslims and hindus and together who swept the elections uh in balochistan there was there was no assembly as yet it wasn't a proper pro- a proper province there was a british uh, balochistan and then there were the princely states kalat and so on and then in bengal i think there were 84 reserved seats for muslims you know reserved seats had been introduced in 1909 and that's been a major factor for isolating muslims from the rest of the people of india in the freedom struggle out of the 84 states they won 40 which is well good enough but eight uh, 44 were won by an oppositional party led by i think qazi fazlul haq uh, and then it did well uh, in the Mus- hindu majority provinces but in the muslim majority provinces it 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 was routed so then the question is how did jinnah turn things round and get pakistan in such circumstances and then if you have questions i can respond to you because in 1937 when the elections were over jawala lehru uh, made two two statements which are interesting the first one was in 1936 as 
the president of the Indian National Congress in his presidential speech at Lucknow, I think he said that uh, we will abolish zamindari, that is big landlordism, as well as we will recast India in the shape of the Soviet uh, type of developmental structure. He simply meant that we will replicate the Soviet model in India. So I think that rang alarm bells not only among the land-owning, the property-owning classes, land-owning classes, but also among the British, who hated the Russians since 1883 when the Great Game had started and after 1917, when Russia had become the Soviet Union, the communist challenge for them was an anathema if that were to happen to India. So I think if you contextualize this, and in night, and then after winning the elections, Nehru made a statement that there are only two powers in India, the British and in the Indian National Congress. Where then Jena comes and says there are four powers in India, the, in, the British, the Indian National Congress, the All India Muslim League and the princely states. There is some confusion. Uh, earlier, the historians were saying that there was a gentleman's agreement in, in UP that after the elections, uh, there will be a coalition government of the Congress and the Muslim League, irrespective of the result. But once the results had shown that the Muslim League had been rejected in those provinces where Muslims were in a majority, allegedly the Congress then said, oh no, but this is on record. This is not just a rumor or so. It's on record that the Congress decided that if the Muslim leaguers who had been elected in UP, for example, wanted to be considered for a, a ministerial position, they had to resign the Muslim League and join the Indian National Congress. At that stage, then, I think Jinnah becomes pivotal, crucial, critical to what happened in history. He says that uh, I'm going to use communalism, mobilize Muslims against Hindus, and demand the partition of India. So from that time onwards, then there is this relentless struggle, especially I would say from March 1940 onwards until the, uh, uh, Pakistan is granted by the British. So with that background, uh, as I've presented to you, I would welcome questions from you. All right. So before I actually ask specific questions, I actually wanted to maybe hit upon the subject of, you know, you start the book where you talk about the puzzle the study seeks to resolve, where you say a preliminary solution of the puzzle is that Jinnah's main and only mission was to bring about at all costs the partition of India. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the the way you theorize and you study Jinnah's statement. So you talk about multiple areas where you talk about the Scottish thinker Thomas Carlyle and how he set forth uh, you know, a theory of the centrality of leadership. And you talk about other areas uh, too, uh, where you mention some of the objective conditions that are involved in studying a personality. So, so when you are looking at a personality, from a point of view of hindsight and you'll read their statements. So what are the theoretical tools that one can use when they're looking in and how much uh, of a consciousness uh, that had, how, 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 how conscious should we be that look, we all come from a certain point of view and biases? Well, I would say I'm trained as a political scientist and then most of my research has been to go beyond just what political leaders are doing and looking at how society as a whole is reacting, what are the cultural factors, what are the religious factors, uh, and, and so many other things. So for me, it's the thick of it which is important, that you have to go beyond just leaders doing this and that and look at the overall structure, the class structure, 
the cultural frameworks, what sort of arguments were used, uh, and so on. So what I then do is that um, I argue that these are two extreme positions. Carlyle saying that individuals make history, and the other, which is on the other extreme, the, redu the reductionist position that it's only material factors which really determine the outcome. I said it's a combination of both. And uh, I uh, uh, mention the founder of uh, Russian communism before Lenin, uh, who came up with this theory, the role of the individual in history, where he says the individual's role is important, but you have to contextualize what is the class structure, what is the cultural framework, what is the historical situation at that time to understand how much a leader uh, could contribute with his qualities as a leader and how much the factors around him helped him in this or, or otherwise. So that's how I choose to look at Jena, you know, admitting that he was charismatic, admitting that he was operating as a lawyer, he had to win the case. And winning the case means coming up, conjuring up any argument which would get him the case uh, 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 granted by, by whosoever had the final powers. And that was the British. So then I look at the negotiations and of course, you know, the Congress commits many blunders. Second World War, it doesn't support the British. They go to, or Jinnah goes to the British. British then promote him. And I quote Jinnah saying that up until now, it was only Mr. Gandhi, Mr. Gandhi, Mr. Gandhi. Now they are laying the red carpet for me. And Linlithgow, the Viceroy says that we had a per, I had a personal stake in promoting Jinnah. Without Jinnah, maybe we could not have held on to India uh, during this period because the Quit India movement later followed and there was... And so all those factors then bring out Jinnah's role as a politician, that he was so quick at exploiting uh, uh, contradictions available to his own advantage. And then he had a personal grievance all along. He believed that he was the rightful leader of the people of India, the Lucknow Pact, and so on. And then comes Gandhi, and he snatches that leadership from him. So getting back at Gandhi was also, I think, very important. And I quote many of his speeches till the very end, saying that uh, Mr. Gandhi uh, uh, cannot be trusted and uh, he didn't take me seriously. I mean, he's complaining till the very end. So a personal, what should I say, vendetta against Gandhi and to assert that he's as great a leader as Gandhi is only if you divide India and create a separate state for Muslims because that's what Gandhi opposed all along and did the National Congress. Okay. Fair enough. So now let's get into the book. You obviously you you divide the book into four stages, as you call it. First, and as an Indian nationalist, then as a Muslim communitarian, next as a Muslim nationalist, and finally as a founder of Pakistan. Now, now, how did you go about like? Uh, and it's very interesting. You mentioned the years too, like from year this to year this. He was an Indian nationalist. Then he becomes a communitarian. Then he goes into the Muslim nationalist phase, and then he goes into the back uh, the you know, the founder of Pakistan. The, how did you come up with this four stages idea? Well, that's looking at the material and using my own conceptual understanding of how to deal with statements, you know. What do they, what is the content of the statements in what context they are being made? And, and then you can say that these are the four phases in Jinnah's life. People normally... Even the best historians have just talked about Jinnah, the Indian nationalist, and then Jinnah, the Muslim nationalist. I've said that there are four phases. We have to look even 
at the fourth stage when he is the all powerful leader of pakistan did he really help pakistan you know in the direction of going towards a democracy and i show no not at all the destruction of democracy begins with jinnah deciding to become the governor general of pakistan now i tell you nobody has done that or let me correct myself there are two books one is by ellen mcgrath the destruction of democracy this is one and then khalid bin said pakistan the formative phase so i i mean i they are the original ones i mean i never claim uh, uh anything which actually belongs to another scholar and i happily grant that from them i got this angle uh looking at jena as a governor general of pakistan but then i have my own way of uh presenting it classifying his statements and the consequences that's that's my contribution okay fair enough now as i was going through this book i i can't help but start maybe from where i come from like jinnah to me seems like a confused person uh, i don't know how else to say this like it's it's almost like a jackal and hyde scenario uh like to even quote your book where you say jinnah had no clear or consistent vision or politics to offer consequently one of the main contentions of this book is that during the fourth and final phase of jinnah's extraordinary political life he had no single core argument around which he conducted his politics instead the fear of a perceived congress hindu india conspiracy against him and pakistan remained the constant referent for his behavior consequently he arbitrarily acquired extraordinary powers as the head of the state and armed with them he took some very controversial decisions which greatly weakened the chances of pakistan stabilizing as a liberal parliamentary democracy now obviously we can't discuss all the four phases i want to focus more on maybe phase 2 3 and 4 uh onwards but like what do you make of you such like am i wrong in thinking like jinnah is almost like a jackal and hyde i wouldn't uh, put labels on him except that i say that uh, jinnah could not forgive people if they slighted him in some way and the greatest slight for him was that gandhi stole the leadership from him and and that he was always looking for a for a possibility for a chance to hit back so that remained a constant with him what sort of personality is that i think the psychologists have many ways of looking at it i have not dared put a label there but that's jena the second is that uh, uh, for him the division of india was the only way to prove that he left the congress for the right reason that it was a hindu organization otherwise that he should have remained in the congress so to vindicate that position the only way was to divide india and show well this is for muslims we could not have lived in a united india dominated by hindus and by the indian national congress that would be the end of islam and muslims and so on i quote him so many times so there is a psychological problem with jena he for example let me concretize this after the direct action call when actually uh, you know writing bloody writing starts there are so many cases uh, of of massacre on a large scale jena never went even once to show his sympathy his concerns so he is he lacked that human dimension of making statements and the consequences for the people whereas gandhi was always there nehru was always there he jena of course sent the muslim league leaders i think liaquat ali khan went and a few others but they always came back with just what had happened to the muslims but gandhi and the rest were concerned about the lives of everyone who were affected during those riots so for me jena then uh is a very difficult personality whether is uh, doc, what is dr 
Jekyll and Hyde. What is the, I mean, term you used? Dr. Jekyll and Hyde. Basically, it's yeah. like there are two different personalities all the time. And, and and it's not like there is a consistent pattern, right? So from year this to this, he behaves like this. No, I, don't, this think, this, I, I don't think he's a split personality. I think he's a very lonely personality, very determined with what he wants. And that is to be uh, uh, accepted as the greatest leader. And he works towards it. I don't find any charity in his actions, in his in his uh, negotiations with the with the Indian National Congress or with the British on all such occasions. Once he had decided that Pakistan is the only way to get at the Congress and Gandhi, there is absolutely no sympathy in him for another way of looking at India. Let me give you the example. Uh, in early January 1940, uh, three leaders met in Bombay. At uh, Jinnah's place came Dr. Ambedkar, the Dalit leader, and the leader of the Dravidians from South India, Mr. Periyar. And for three, four days, and there's even a picture which I found out, found later on, where the three had met and discussed if they could form some sort of alliance against the Indian National Congress. It came to nothing. Uh, Jinnar told uh, Periyar that if you demand a Dravidistan, then I'll support you. And to the Dalit leader, he said, you have my sympathies. If you oppose the Congress, my sympathies are with the Dalits. But those two had come to Jinnah to form one party. Mahatma Gandhi then writes to him on the 16th of January, 1940. And I quote that letter. My dear Kaide-Azam, I address you as Kaide-Azam because everybody addresses you as Kaide-Azam. I don't like referring to Indian people as Mr. Whatever. So you are the only great leader who can form a national party of the same stature as the Congress and oppose the Congress, but for a, a democratic India where there is the Indian National Congress and then the three parties with a grievance against the Congress, Muslim, the Muslims, the Dalits and the Dravidians coming together and forming a party of an equal strength and both working towards uh, uh, a democratic but united India. And uh, Jinnah rejected it. And that's just one example. As you go along, there are many other uh, efforts on the part of the Indian National Congress uh, and its leaders to woo Jinnah, but he wouldn't. So that's, that's the way I look at Jinnah, that I don't think he had a, a personality which was at one point one thing and then another. I think it was one personality which just could not accept any opposition. And and he was unforgiving. He was uh, simply incapable of, of human charity, if you want to call it. What is interesting is this... Uh... This real problem he has with Gandhi, like in the book, in the early phase, you talk about, you know, in the 1920 speech when he was heckled. In, and at one point when Jinnah referred to Gandhi as Mr. Gandhi, the crowd shouted Mahatma Gandhi. Similarly, when he referred to Maulana Muhammad Ali as Mr. Muhammad Ali, the people started Mahamlala Muhammad Ali. Jinnah expressed disgust and walked out of the session never to return to the Congress. Now, now really, Jinnah really had an issue with Gandhi. Like, I mean, if it was this the very moment when things turned south, as they say, between the two of them? Absolutely. Absolutely. It had been growing since 1915 when... Gandhi comes back from South Africa and there's a reception by the Gujarati people where Jinnah, uh, you know, delivers the welcome address. And Jinnah was uh, extremely appreciative of Gandhiji's services to the Indians in South Africa. When Gandhi gets up to speak, 
he says i am greatly delighted or something like this that a mohammedan leader is here and and i mean we are together uh, stanley walpot his uh, most famous biographer says that that's when jena felt that his stature had been diminished by gandhi who didn't recognize him as an indian leader but only as a mohammedan leader and then i wrote to gandhi ji's grandson professor rajmohan gandhi and asked him if he could explain his grandfather's way of uh, uh, you know addressing jena and he said well i don't know but one possible explanation is that while in south africa gandhi had the experience of working with muslims hindus gujaratis punjabis tamils everyone sikhs vis-a-vis the uh, the white ruling class uh, he was actually celebrating that look here we gujaratis muslims and hindus are together and he didn't mean it as an affront to jena but jena probably took it that way so 1915 onwards then there is 1917 i think where he's heckled also by gandhi's followers for speaking in english they want him to speak in gujarati and the third one that you mentioned that then becomes an obsession with jena that gandhi has done all this to to so conspire to take away the leadership from him and since he was a muslim and gandhi a hindu uh it was a hindu muslim case as well not just personal but also how the two communities were in terms of numbers absolutely and what i find interesting is that again and you touch upon it in the book where you know jinna in jinna's eyes he was the senior of gandhi right he was the congress leader इट्स ऑलमोस्ट एज इफ जिन्ना के मन में क्या चल रहा होगा अरे मैंने यहाँ पापड़ बेले हैं तुम कौन होते हो तुम तो वहां साउथ अफ्रीका में बैठे थे अपनी कर रहे थे अब तुम आके मेरी जगह ले रहे हो बाकी ने कहा या नहीं कहा मैंने तो बहुत जोर से कहा दिस इज माई वे ऑफ अंडरस्टैंडिंग बाय जिना बिकेम सो बेटर एंड सो अनफोरगेविंग जस्ट डेंट है Yeah now so let us touch upon that very moment in the book where you try and explain uh, the years where jinnas approach to politics was becoming communitarian could you could you maybe could you touch upon those uh, a few incidents here and there that what led to the change from the in, the nationalist jinna to the communitarian jinna well uh, you see after the lucknow pact then uh, there was a meeting where the followers of sir sayed who was opposed to muslim joining with the congress had assembled and they had expressed concerns that the lucknow pact would actually mean empowering the hindus and the congress and jena then made a statement that all such fears are groundless baseless the hindus would never do it and the muslims are an important minority in two major parts of india i mean all that is there so at that moment as well jinnah was a true indian nationalist and he remains so even at the time of the raul attacks which uh, the british has introduced after the second uh, first world war uh, the people were expecting you know some move towards self government and the british introduced these draconian draconian laws which could which gave arbitrary powers to the to the state to uh, uh, arrest people merely on suspicion that they were conspiring to overthrow the legitimate government as they said uh, of india so up until then jena is uh, a, an indian nationalist and then the 1920s the break what is communitarianism communitarianism means that you sort of start taking interest primarily uh, in in the in the concerns of a certain community and 
for jinnah the muslims of india were a community apart from the rest and and then he came up with this theory that there is no indian nation you know originally the idea was that all indians irrespective of their caste religion whatever were indians now he says that india comprises many nationalities muslims hindus sikhs uh, dalits and dravidians he names all those and he says that for such an india the, the if, to keep it united very limited central powers uh, 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 you know i mean the central government should have simply those issues to take care of which the provinces can't and that is defense and foreign affairs and maybe communications all other powers should be vested in the provinces as against that that the congress had come up with the nehru report which talked of an effective center and a federation in which there were two lists and it declared that india will be a a secular state in which there will be no state religion and hindus and muslims will have equal rights and universal adult franchise would mean the there would be no need for uh, uh you know separate electorates for communities because by that time not only the muslims but even the sikhs in punjab had been granted separate electorates and then i think uh, europeans in bengal and and so on so there were then these two positions a united india with an effective center and jinnah insisting that there is no indian nation there are all these nationalities with their very different interests very specific concerns and therefore even if india remains united the central government should have limited powers just to take care of defense and foreign affairs now the two parties could not agree on that and then i give many examples where efforts were made to bring them together but none of those efforts succeeded until the 1935 act and the 1937 elections and jinnah then leaves communitarians communitarianism on the side and says there are two nations in india muslims and hindus the others are national groups or nationalities so there is even a the way he describes the composition of of the indian population changes with all these descriptions first all indians are one nation territorially defined the second is communitarian there are many communities and they are entitled to their own freedom in their provinces and so on and in this third position the critical position which leads to partition is that there are two nations in india muslims and hindus the rest are nationalities and national groups whose concerns cultural groups and so on can be uh, 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 taken care of in a hindu india and a muslim pakistan things like this so that's it the third stage and of course then the fourth stage is let me underline something which you said that uh, you read my uh, uh, statement on jinnah that democracy was actually subverted by jinnah deciding to be- become uh, the governor general of pakistan and he had no other argument main argument except that india is out to undo pakistan now that has been that has become the main focus of subsequent pakistani governments even till today so jinnah's influence description of india as the main enemy conspiring against pakistan is very much part of the way pakistan sees its relationship with india so jinnah is there even today yeah that's actually fascinating how you have put it it's actually i i agree with you another thing that i found very interesting is how the role of the muslim league also in the society keeps changing as they were initially being criticized by the anti imperialist muslims as just being an elite club you have no say in society now what do you think was the exact tipping point of the muslim league being the be all and end all in terms of representation of muslim interests 
well it's when jena meets lilith go uh, after second after the second world war and tells him look the only way you can keep the indian national congress at bay is to recognize the importance of the muslim community and of the all india uh, all india muslim league as its sole representative body once you do that then we will help you in the war effort and that's when the muslim league uh, starts getting backing of the british the british even during the war were not very clear actually whether they wanted india partition this is another uh, thing we we need to bring into our discussion the the british wanted a united india loosely united and so on cabinet mission plan but one thing more that under treaty it should be uh, uh, the uh, under treaty it should join the british commonwealth you know uh, for defensive purposes it's only when they realize that the congress may not be very amenable to such an idea that finally they throw their weight behind the idea of partition and grant pakistan to jena although jena had been claiming that now from 1940 onwards and churchill was very sympathetic to jena i think i quote someone some british author saying that in 1944 when uh, lord wavell the second last viceroy went to england and met uh, churchill churchill said i want a bit of india but a bit of india uh, is one thing but churchill lost the elections it could still have been a united india uh, but in the end the british army and you know that setup decided that partition is the best bet to create a frontline state armed with islamic ideology and backed by british science these are their words in order to prevent soviet communism uh, you know having a breakthrough in the subcontinent churchill is an interesting character and you do talk about it you know in your book uh, and i'm reading obviously in the case of india churchill considered muslim leaders a counterweight to congress ambitions to self rule also fa- the fact that the muslim soldiers of the indian army had remained loyal and even fought the turks during world war 1 convinced him that muslims could be used at several levels to blunt the congress type congress led freedom movement churchill was otherwise a typical ideologue of the white man's burden uh, as they say um, which justified colonialism as an emancipatory uh, intervention in asia and africa in that sense he was in the company of thinkers as diverse as john stuart mill and karl marx though karl marx had taken the dialectical position that the modernization taking place under british rule which though thoroughly rapacious had set in motion processes that would disintegrate indian barbarism and medievalism how nice of him would lead to the emergence of a new society through the free press railways industrial production and so on now this is the interesting bit for churchill that would never happen or happen a very t- long time later in the future during that period continuous colonial rule was imperative to help indians grow out of their infantile superstitions fatalism and narrow world views educated hindus had acquired progressive views and sensibilities but churchill was not far from the truth that the bulk of hindus were conservative and wedded to the premodern ideas and values that was true of the muslims as well but hindus demanded uh, the po- politics demanded that this ire be directed only against hinduism and hindus churchill was a special character wasn't he a very special character and uh, i mean i even quote an earlier book of his way he says that uh, that the muslims are the greatest threat to western civilization they are not a moribund uh, uh, ideology but something which can come to life any time because they want jihad and want to dominate the world but in the case of india because the muslims were a minority and the hindus were in a majority for him it was all right to support the muslims vis-a-vis the hindus that's realism you know or british cynicism whatever you want to call it i mean that's how they looked upon the people of india all of them yeah i mean uh, which is why you know i i find this entire discussion whenever churchill is discussed and 
and you know indians are supposed to uh, and i'll go even one step further indian hindus are supposed to be very you know kind to churchill or something of that sort i find it hilarious i was like kyu bhai usne aisa kya kiya mere liye jo main uski itni minnate karu ji ji yeah but but i want to go now into the jinna was stingy yeah <laughs> well that's unfortunately true and who else but his own private secretary who adored him this is he he's on record saying this and there is something even more amusing or intriguing that the partition took place millions of people were devastated lost home and hearth children were killed women were raped all that had happened and yet uh to the indian high commissioner the first one sri prakasha jina sent a plea to nehru saying that you know my bombay house i built brick by brick and so on uh although in my jina book i didn't have that material in hand at that time but subsequently i have acquired that as well the whole text of sri prakasha's book and in the urdu translation and hindi translation of the jina book this is being added this has been this has been added that he uh, requested nehru that not only he should retain the ownership but that uh, this malabar road house should be rented out to europeans so neither hindus nor muslims of india uh, and he should get rupees 3000 every month as the rent so that's it now when it came to spending money he never gave any donations this is what his uh, private secretary tells us and there are yeah. many other cases as well yeah very yeah. sincere i i actually wanted to know about this bit also in your book you say uh, ambedkar and the dravidian leader ramaswami nayakar were disappointed and moved away from chinna ambedkar was later to express his disappointment in his major work on pakistan now obviously you focus more on ambedkar's views on jinnah but what were the circumstances that led these people away from jinnah as i said in 1940 january they met jinnah uh, i think we have gone through it where the three met to discuss if they could form some sort of coalition against the indian national congress but it came to not because jinnah was not interested in communitarianism any more bringing yeah, that, yeah, yeah i think we did not touch upon this fact that's exactly what i wanted uh, to yeah. hear from you that it, it it was basically the change in jinnah the personality itself by the time they reached out to jinnah jinnah was no longer a communitarian he was a muslim yes, politician exactly that's the first indication no more communitarian from that time onwards he is a muslim nationalist muslim communalist and he declares it that that's the card i will play to 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 achieve whatever political goal we we decide for and that was pakistan yeah mm-hmm. now i want to focus the at least a good 10 20 minutes of our discussion on the post partition jinnah now yeah. obviously you did touch upon it that how jinnah subverted pakistani democracy but uh, can you maybe run us through the steps how did he go about doing this in such a clinical fashion that the legacy remains till today first of all as governor general he could he should have remained just a, a titular or ceremonial head of state and let the prime minister conduct the business of the state government huh? i uh, quote the fact that he made mountbatten uh, a bend the 1935 act or maybe even the 19 uh, 18 july 1947 indian independence act maybe both to give him powers which not even the british viceroys had you know when they were all powerful in a in a british india and with those powers then he dismissed elected governments the first one was in the northwest frontier and uh, of the khudai khidmatgar and the congress together and they were elected they had a majority uh, in the legislative assembly 
the law and order was in a fine shape but he acquired these powers and and dismissed an elected government he used the same powers against his own muslim league government in sindh where uh, the chief minister ayub khodu uh, was opposed to karachi being made federal territory he wanted it to remain part of sindh and and uh, jinnah once again would brook no opposition so khodu was dismissed on corruption charges how many of those charges were true or not i have no opinion but these were the charges laid against him then he goes to east pakistan in march 1948 and tells the bengalis who were 55% of the pakistani population that urdu alone will be the national language of pakistan and that's the beginning of the bengali disenchantment with the pakistan project already when they had the first federal cabinet sworn in uh, the bengalis were represented by one non descript person called fazlur rahman nobody had heard about him the bengali muslim heavyweights were all missing so these three acts uh, for example are indicative of uh, jena acting in an autocratic manner authoritarian manner and he would preside for example over all cabinet mission uh, meetings and he took the important decisions with the cabinet and the and the prime minister liaquat ali khan then uh, you know just formally had to sign so all this left a legacy which was then used by the subsequent uh, people who took over first the 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 civil servants then came the first military coup in 1958 and then the story goes on and on what i am trying to show there is that once you undermine democratic practices and institutions then in the long run those institutions and their prestige is diminished and even if there you find elected governments like benazir and nawaz sharif in the 1990s they were dismissed by the bureaucracy or the deep state the establishment uh, easily and replaced by uh, uh, another yani prime minister you know benazir by nawaz sharif nawaz sharif by benazir and benazir by i mean this is what happened uh, during this period and then finally i've said all this led to pakistan uh, being a garrison state you know jena is responsible for giving this feeling that pakistan is surrounded by india out to undo it so that's the idea of a garrison you build pakistan to defend itself and internally it means any opposition to the government is an unpatriotic act and you become a uh, suspect in the eyes of the state for harboring ambitions to undo pakistan and that's what the pol- political record is up until now look at imran khan you know he says that the government now in power is an imported government when he was in power uh, the opposition said that he is the selected prime minister so democracy in the sense of one man one vote free elections multi party system has never uh, uh, established itself firmly in in pakistani politics i want to take you back to this uh, incident you you took mountbatten's name so i want to read a quote mountbatten mountbatten's anger is vividly captured in the following remark about jinna and i'm quoting he is suffering from megalomania in its worst form for when i pointed out to him that if he went as a constitutional governor general his powers will be restricted but as prime minister he really could run pakistan he made no bones about the fact that his prime minister would do what he said quote in my position it is i who will give the advice and others will act on it then i for re- i'm going to read further in exasperation mountbatten said to him 
Do you realize what this will cost you? Jinnah replied, it may cost me several crores. 10 million is one crore in rupees in assets. Mountbatten retorted, it may well cost you the whole of your assets and the future of Pakistan. Mountbatten and Jinnah didn't really get along in the end, right? No, because the understanding was that Mountbatten will be the uh, governor general both for India and Pakistan during the partition. When it is completed, then things will change. Huh? But at the last moment, uh, Jinnah decided to be the governor general of Pakistan and told Mountbatten, and I'm sure Mountbatten was uh, very angry when he heard this, uh, that uh, this role has been denied to him. And, and uh, of course, this warning that Jinnah could become the prime minister and strengthen the parliamentary democratic system was a very uh, uh, wise advice that he was giving. But uh, Jinnah had decided to become the all-powerful governor general of Pakistan with the consequences that we have just discussed. This could be my last segment. So... Let us talk about the speech, the, the the very famous Jinnah speech, which is touted as, you know, his proof of Jinnah's uh, vision for a secular and democratic uh, Pakistan. Now, you've done a content analysis of Jinnah like nobody else has. Now, now my, my problem is that why is that one speech bandied about every time and, you know, shown as if that is it, that's the Jinnah, that's the final version? I mean... Uh, I, I call it coat mining. I've heard this word from many other people. And, you know, everybody seems to be mining that one speech and quoting it around every time. But, I mean, the truth, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. Jinnah was way more than that just one speech, right? Actually, I quote Jinnah subsequently several times where he goes against this whole idea of Pakistan being uh, even remotely a secular state. Because remember, 11th August is when he's uh, elected as president of the Pakistan Constituent Assembly. But the Constituent Assembly of Pakistan is actually inaugurated, which is official, on the 14th of August, where Mountbatten comes as the representative representative of the uh, King Emperor, you know, to take part in the ceremonies. And Mountbatten gets up and says, well, you are... You have your own state now and you have had great leaders like Akbar and uh, Jinnah gets up and corrects him that, well, Akbar is all right, but the real inspiration and the real model is Prophet Muhammad who first defeated Jews and Christians and then treated them admirably. So once you bring the state of Medina back with which Mount, which uh, Imran Khan is doing now all the time, it's Jinnah who does it. Then he writes a letter to the to the uh, leader of the Akhwan al-Muslimin or the Muslim Brotherhood, Hassan al-Banna, saying that please send us a scholar who can tell us how to make Pakistan an ideal Islamic state. On the 25th of January 1948, Jinnah addresses the Karachi Bar Assembly and tells them that People ask me, what is the constitution of Pakistan? The, the constitution of Pakistan was granted 1300 years ago. It will be democratic, Islamic and all that, you know. Then Jinnah also established only one department and it's called the Department of Islamic Reconstruction, which was given instructions to advise the government on how to make Pakistan an ideal Islamic state an ideal Islamic educational system, ideal Islamic economic system, and, and so on. And then I think it's in July or June, because after that he became very sick. At the inauguration of the State Bank of Pakistan, he says that we don't want any ism, red or yellow. You advise us on how to make Pakistan an Islamic state. With an sorry, Islamic economy. So, one speech, and I contextualize the speech and show that Jinnah was so good at making, taking, you know, decisions suited to that opportunity, to that situation. 
and it was the fear that uh, India may expel 35 million Muslims if all the Hindus and Sikhs were forced to leave uh, Pakistan. Well, in West Pakistan, that's what actually happened. But uh, I must salute Mahatma Gandhi and Jawaharlal Nehru and even Sardar Patel, who were and uh, and and other Congress leaders who ensured that although the Hindu Masaba and RSS had started attacking Muslims, all those uh, uh, you know attempts were defeated. And those Muslims who wanted to remain in India could do that. That's, of course, now a problem in India where the Hindu right says that, look at these people. They let the Muslims stay on while they agreed to the partition of India to grant Muslims a separate state. Where my argument is the Congress agreed only at the very end of it, realizing that in a united India, it would not be possible to cooperate with the India, with the Muslim League and with Jinnah and all. So why not go for an India which was manageable uh, and and which could be, you know, uh, led forward according to the Congress ideology, which they have done. The Indian Constitution is exactly two three things. It is the uh, Nehru Report of 1928. It is the 1932 Pune Pact between Mahatma Gandhi and uh, Dr. Ambedkar through the reservations and the fundamental rights of 1931 at Karachi are also part of the constitution, although they are not enforceable, they but they are a source of inspiration. And there, there's another thing which is now a problem in India. In 1931, the Congress also passed a resolution that for the personal law of minorities, uh, they would grant these exemptions, you know, from, you know, all other human rights and so on. So at that time, they had to do it because if you wanted the anti-imperialist Muslims like the Jibiyate ul-Mahin to support you, you had to grant them something which was Islamic enough and that was personal law. But when the when Jinnah or sorry, when the Congress and Nehru did it, it was in good faith that once India is independent, they will reform all personal laws and the Muslims will join in. That didn't happen. Fair enough. Now, okay, so before we wrap it up, sir, so what would your uh, last words on Jinnah be and also what is your next project that you're working on? Yeah, well, Despite having my differences on the two-nation theory and and the way the partition took place, I cannot help granting the fact that Jinnah was so pivotal uh, a leader to the future of India and the creation of Pakistan. That role nobody can take away from him. Saying that he didn't want partition is is is. Uh, indefensible academically and with the evidence that we have in hand. He was important. He was central to getting Pakistan for good and bad. My project now these days is a book I promised to write for Rupa publications and it is the partitions of India, Pakistan, sorry, of India, Punjab and Bengal. I'm looking at just those you know, years around 1940s and so on. What the different leaders said, what the different political parties had, uh, their stand, you know, the Hindu Masaba, the RSS, the Muslim League, the Indian National Congress, the Sikh parties. Then there were several Muslim parties like the Ahrar. And, and so that's the, the new book that I'm working on. All right, Dr. Emma, thanks uh, thanks a lot for coming on the podcast. It, I had a great time reading your book. It is a very new perspective. It's a refreshing perspective. And uh, thank you very much for coming and wishing you all the best for all your future endeavors. Thank you very much. I enjoyed talking to you. I've done this many times, but each time something new happens and it depends on the person who's actually interviewing you or discussing with you. 
सो थैंक यू वेरी मच फॉर योर इनपुट्स दैट्स वेरी काइंड ऑफ यू ऑल राइट गाइस वी विल लैप टुडेस डिस्कशन अप वंस अगेन इन द डिस्क्रिप्शन ऑफ द पॉडकास्ट व्हेन यू गो एंड चेक द डिस्क्रिप्शन बिलो यू विल सी uh the link to purchase this book i would recommend not only you buy this book you should buy uh, the other books especially the one on punjab uh that dr ahmed has written as far as i'm concerned you know the drill you can subscribe to the charbuk podcast youtube channel or you can go on itunes and uh, to, uh, spotify wherever you listen to this or become a youtube member or a patreon subscriber or buy the merch or send your donations to upi i will see you guys next guys next time with another interesting guest until then namaste take care bye bye